Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Jabo macht Tempo, wartet auf harte Herzschwanke, kommt und jetzt ist es Klos. Also Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujabalata. Guten Tag and welcome to another edition of the Swede Bundesliga podcast. Today we are going to discuss all the action, action, yes, action Jackson, action from match day 13. 13 as a number is quite unlucky, so they say. But as is often the case in the Swede Bundesliga, you have to make your own luck. And some teams this weekend were able to do so. As always, teaming up to discuss all the action from the weekend. It's the one and only... Eva Lotte-Bohler. Eva, I'm very happy, Eva, it has to be said. Um, big win for your team, of course. But uh, there were some really interesting results uh, around the league. Oh, yeah, definitely. Also, it amazes me how, for you, it's kind of late. For me, it's kind of early. And you always sound much more awake than I do. Um, also, I do apologize for the kind of nasal sound. Um, apparently, it's not that clever. Uh, to walk around in stadium clothes until like 4.30 in the morning after a game. Yeah. Um, kind of getting <laughs> getting the credit for that now. Um, no, but I think uh, once again that this match day showed us that like you have to look at what yourself or, or what your own results are, but you can never, never rely on that and how close everything is that uh, a win does not necessarily mean you're out of some sort of position and at the same time like if you just draw or if you get defeated it can change a lot of things because obviously the other teams will probably use that and uh, I think that this match day was a was a showcase for that once again uh, but I think it also showed that yeah there's still like those met I think four matches, right? Four matches until the international or the 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 World Cup winter break, whatever you want to call it, mm. uh, can still change a lot in those combinations. What we had in uh, at the table in the table, Jesus Christ, we're doing well at the moment, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm for I for one am very interested to see. Uh, what those next four games will have in store for us. At the same time, I can't really believe we just have like two weeks of football left, and then like we don't gotta hear from each other for like three months. This is crazy. Yeah, I mean it's hard not to be geared up about the league itself because we're constantly getting crazy results like we did on the weekend. So I do appreciate the compliment, despite the fact I've been up for twelve and a half hours and been through work and it's all good. But um, yeah, look t to be honest, the um, the fact that we've got what four it's four match days in the space of three weeks. We've got the uh, the, the English week coming up um, in a, in a couple of weeks' time and. Um, as we as we hit November, where they play three times in the space of nine days, it's going to be quite chaotic. Um, but the question I think that will arise is that heading into that essentially ten week break, 
who will be leading the pack? Will it be Darmstadt? They hosted Holstein Kiel. We talked about Kiel last week as, well, this is another big test for them. They were able to beat Heidenheim. They were able to put three past Nuremberg the week the week prior to that, all thanks to Steven Skripsky, who entering had uh, eight goals in the season, four of those coming in the last couple of weeks, uh, against the Darmstadt side that likes to play from in front, like most teams, I would guess, but um, taking the advantage early. And this was a fascinating game, and, and one that Kiel had the measure of early on. They had multiple chances through Quasi Reeds. Steven Skripsky had the next opportunity Fabian Reza shot, almost testing uh, the palms of Marcel Schoen. But the goal would come on 35 minutes, and it would be that man, Steven Skripsky, who would open the scoring. A wonderful through ball from Lewis Holtby. Skripsky just does enough to stay on side, and his volley was wonderfully placed past Marcel Schoen. So a golden hill to the break. Kiel taking the ascendancy, and Darmstadt, who... In the last few weeks, have conceded the first goal, but we know what they can do in the second half, and they did start to ramp up the pressure. Patrick Pfeiffer had the first real opportunity of the second half, a set piece, but his efforts were high and wide. Brady Manu came close, and then the goal came on 72 minutes. It's Manu with the assist. His ball finds Matthias Bader at the back post. He beats Dana through the legs, and... That was your scoreline, a goal apiece. We should talk about the Badao goal because this is quite interesting on a match day where VAR was very, very influential. We have to question, was Willemsen, who was in the play, was he active? Because as the Manu ball comes through, Willemsen is initially the closest to it. It just beats him. Does it impede Dana's decision-making to coming out? Bada scores the goal and it's 1-1. It was a big moment in the game. It did feel like Darmstadt were going to get that equalizer regardless. But in in a match day where there was some interesting decisions and the lack of clarification was really obvious, to me this seems like a decision that could have gone either way. Yeah, I would fully agree because in my opinion, uh, Willemsen actually actively steps away from the ball Mm. uh, when he's still offside and that as you've mentioned he binds defensive players as well as obviously Dana who thinks the shot is going to come from him um, and then you have Bada on the back post I think let's let's go with that I do understand why it was given at the same time I do think that Darmstadt couldn't have really yeah complain mm. if it like because I understood it in a way that if you're offside and the ball doesn't touch you obviously it, it doesn't matter but at the same time if you somehow actively go into that like be a part of that gameplay where you step away from the ball so you don't touch the ball like obviously I need scenes to compare that to, and although it was very different, I still remember like that Okogawa scene where he like opens his legs so the ball can go through, and that's why like he doesn't touch the ball then, but because he actively does something to not touch the ball, it's mm. still offside. 
because then he turns from passive to active. And I thought because it looked like Willemson is actively going away from the ball and so irritates players around him, it could have been still offside. But that was just my personal opinion. Um, but I would agree, really, like, you could really split that game into the two halves that they were already. Um, I was very impressed on how Kiel was coming on the pitch in the first half, very active, very aggressive. Um and Chun had to do a lot in those first uh, 45 minutes to really put something against that. I mean, um, all three shots on target for Kiel came in the first half. Um, and then you had like nine shots on goal, another five shots on goal in the second half. Um, I also think that like already in some parts of the first half, but mainly in the second half, um, the precision really was missing from that Darmstadt team. I mean, they they got that goal in the end, um, but like their most danger came through set pieces and through FIFA. FIFA had the most shots on goal, none of them on target. Um, speaking of, about FIFA, I don't know if you saw that scene where I think it was a, a set piece as well, and then like. Pfeiffer has his head very much close to to the floor and falls down and holds his head and mm. there's no contact at all. And I think and he like shortly complains and then gets up. Mm. But I think like in a way he could have seen yellow for diving because like there was no contact and mm. if a referee I think would have had blown the whistle there first for a penalty because he thinks there there is some sort of contact um, and then sees the pictures that would have definitely been a yellow card for, for diving because like I didn't think that was uh, didn't really know what he was doing there um, yeah and in the end I think uh, probably Although it sounds weird, but a deserved draw mm-hmm. uh, because like both teams failed to score the second goal in their better half. Yeah. Um, and although Darmstadt's chances in the end were a bit more dangerous and looked, they looked a bit more aggressive overall um, because their first half was just terrible, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I think it was deserved to uh, for Q to get a point there. Yeah, absolutely. I it's a for me this was a big test for them because we've seen them play some pretty good opponents. The Paddleball game will forever stick in my mind as we were trying to figure out what this kill team could be and they were absolutely dismantled, you know, giving up seven goals. Uh but they, this is the journey that they've come on the last few weeks, you know, unbeaten in their last four breaking Darmstadt's uh, four consecutive wins. On the bounce, of course, uh, as we're all aware, Darmstadt are 12 games unbeaten with Jan Regensburg on match day one, the only side to beat Darmstadt this season. It's interesting because Darmstadt's slow start, for me, attributes to that cup game. It was quite a short... It's been a busy week for them. They beat Gladbach in the cup, and there's a lot of interest and all that. And then they've got the Friday night game against the Kiel side that were already out of the cup. Um, You know, it took them time to get into the game 
and then once they you know they they really controlled the second half with quite a lot of ease and um you know the only real meaningful chance for Kiel was right at the death with Hulk Kaval's header going over the bar so um yeah I think Darmstadt it will take the draw as well it's been a big week it's hard to get up for game like a second you know three games in the in the short space of time that they've had um so I think they'll be very happy with the result they've got St. Pauli away that's a world feed game that is the top spieler so the 8:30 kickoff local time um, so that that will be quite an interesting game. We're going to talk about St. Pauli later on in the program. Kiel have got Fortuna Dusseldorf at home. That is on Saturday afternoon. Now to one of the most interesting tactical battles of the match day. It's Hamburger Esval and Magdeburg. Tim Walter against Christian Tietz. Tietz, of course, was at Hamburg the year that they went down and was sacked midway through his first fight of Bundesliga season. Uh, he took the Magdeburg job and uh, in only 18 months took them from almost relegated to the fourth tier to the Zweite Bundesliga. And which you look at two very possession-heavy sides, you know, Hamburg and, and Magdeburg ranked first and third respectively for possession, Paderborn in between in second. Who would, and we talked about this last week, who would give up the ascendancy? There was a blueprint on how to beat Hamburg and that was to play on the break. And it seemed as if Christian Tietz was more than aware of this because this is how they were able to get all of their goals. It started just 11 minutes into the game. A turnover in midfield. Some, it was some pretty passive counter-pressing um, from uh, Elhan Khoury. He finds Attic. Elhan Khoury gets the ball back. It's not in a very particularly dangerous situation in the box. Jonas David doesn't close in enough for mine. And Elhan Khoury beats... Daniel Hoyer-Fernandez in a position really shouldn't have been beaten from in the first place. So 1-0, Magdeburg take the lead, and they take that lead to the break. They would double their advantage just six minutes into the second half. Some really, really poor defending from Hamburg. How can you leave Barisatic with so much space on the on the near side? Cristiano Pacini, who was outstanding in this game, who was in Kickers Team of the Week, found Magdeburg's other team, team of the week nominee, Barisatic, and Attic scores, and 2-0... And things were starting to unravel for Hamburg. But just seven minutes later, they would get a goal back. Ludovic Russ, who has been a class above for Hamburg this season, he finds Ransford Jabal Konigsdorfer. And at 2-1, this game which had so much momentum back and forth, Hamburg very much taking it. And they thought they had leveled just moments later. Robert Glatzel's shot is initially saved from Dominic Ryman. It comes off Silas Naka. On to Konigsdorfer. The ball goes in the back of the net. We're going to talk about that moment. Initially, a goal. Video assistant referee says, no dice for offside. This was one of the most conjectures points of the match day. We'll talk about that in a moment. No goal stays 2-1. And then Magdeburg double their advantage just two minutes from regular time. Again, Hamburg losing the ball in their defensive third. It's it's Krumpicki. It's Julian Rickman. And uh, Rickman gets his first goal of the season. So the two-goal advantage is restored. And you think, there's not, there's not going to be any more drama. Surely, no, you would be wrong. The drama was ramped up to 11 because in the third minute of added time, there were seven minutes of added time. Lajlo Benish finding Tom Sanna. Sanna, in his, his fighter Bundesliga debut, makes it 3-2. And Hamburg just throw the kitchen sink. Daniel Hoyer-Fernandez basically doesn't return into his own half for four minutes. 
And they come close to an equaliser. The initial effort is Mario Vushkovic. His effort is cleared off the line from Naka. Ball comes back in. It's Ludovic Rice. He hits the crossbar. And just moments later, the referee, referee Harm Osmus, a fan favourite of so many, he blows the final whistle. And Magdeborg scores a massive win on a weekend where others below them were able to take some points. It means that Magdeborg move up to 15th place. We have to discuss the moment of the game because the way I see it is that had the goal counted, Hamburg goes and wins this game because they were steamrolling their way through two goals in the space of five minutes. It looks like it was happening. But there's a bit of confusion with this because we were discussing it when we were watching it. This is, again, the active player situation. The offside is taken from when Glatzel takes the shot um, and when Riemann punches the ball into Naka, which deflects onto uh, Konigsdorfer. He's still in an offside position. This is a difficult one because we've heard so many times when the ball is intentionally played from the defensive team, you're play- you then played onside by definition. Wasn't the case here because it seems more of a deflection. Do we think that this was the correct call? Because it did, in many respects, almost deflate Hamburg because they had a few chances after that through Kittle, Amiichi, Glatzel. They thought they had the penalty shout. That was turned away. And it took them a long time, and then that third goal was almost a killer. Like, extraordinary game, but yeah. What did you think of that decision? Do we think that was the correct call in the end? I think the problem really was that, once again, we didn't really know why it took so long. Mm. There was discussion, was it a handball? Was it offside? Was it both? And the pictures we got, the frames we got from that mm. situation weren't really clear to me Um, and I think this was the problem for Harm Osmos as well Mm. it took so long because the pictures weren't sufficient enough to make a quick decision and I mean this is we talked about this before I think it was in the St. Pauli Hanover game where there was was a penalty decision that was given because and was not overruled because the referees admitted that there were not enough frames to decide or video footage to decide what's right and what's wrong. Um, And I still think that's a huge, huge problem. And I think it's very similar in that situation. Um, At the same time, obviously, I'm not a huge fan of Harm Osmas. And I think that just on a communication level, he could have handled that differently. Um, and then obviously it's, obviously it's always very difficult if you have like 50,000 mm. um, not understanding what's going on and then you have that penalty decision and the whole stadium was just, yeah, <laughs> at best they'd probably a nightmare to referee in um, because, and I mean, that's you really have to say that's not even Osma's fault. He can't mm. change what he has to work with. Um, and I think that was the... the the YouTube difficulty. I wouldn't have wanted to decide on that. Mm. I I mean, we, we talked about this on Sunday, uh, three people, three different opinions, why this would, should be given or should not be given. Um, and I think like that was, that was a very, very difficult decision to make. Um, and 
yeah, I don't think it's a good I Like, I saw this on Twitter that people were, like, saying, what, it's not a surprise. He comes, he he's originally from, from Bremen. I was like, well, to be honest, it's, like, that's a bit short-minded, in my <laughs> opinion. Um, and you just got to say, Hamburg deserved to lose this game in the end. We said this so many times before that we were skeptical about the amount of shots Hamburg takes and it does not end in a goal. And we were very, very skeptical about this, that we know this from the last couple of seasons. And this 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 part is always that this part is always the part which caused them the the promotion in the end because in games where they were the better team where they had more shots where they should have won they didn't score the goals and they had plenty of chances Amici as you've mentioned uh, you had the double chance uh, in last like in ninety plus seven with Vuskovic and Reis Hamburg should have the quality to not look at one situation and I mean. The, the question would be, why didn't you bring in Zana earlier? Um, I mean, for example, Glatzer was just not very good in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and Magdeburg did a good job. Like, their transitional play, especially for the 1-0, was exceptional. Um, and, uh, yeah, if you basically have... Our, or as a, as a Hamburg side... A team who has not been very at the top of the game and are the bottom three of the table. Why would you give them the game in twice in the first ten minutes of of your forty five minutes halves? Mm-hmm. I I couldn't really understand that, and that's why I thought in the end, yeah, Magdeburg deserved to win. And I mean, they were very clever and in saying, okay, normally we have the huge, like the, the main possession of ball, but let's let Hamburg do that because we have a second plan. We can do this. And I mean, this is what can probably save them in the end that they have a plan B when they don't have the majority of possession in a game like this. Hmm. And they had that. And they say, okay, let's go with transitional play. We have players like Elan Kuri and Artic. We can do that. And they did that in that game. And obviously, then you have to say, it's, as a Hamburg side, it cannot be that without Sebastian Schoenlau, you can see like 10 goals or something like that. Hmm. I mean, you, you, at somehow, this, this can't be your only excuse. Hmm. And um, yeah, especially especially against a side who had only scored 13 goals before that. At the same time, they're only like three goals apart now, Hamburg mm. and Magdeburg. And this is like if you look at all the other teams in the in the top eight, Hamburg has the least amount of goals scored with 19. Mm. And then they probably they just concede too many goals at the same time. Although 13 goals is not much, but it's just I'm not sure. And I mean, this would have been... There's only one team from the top five that won this match day. (laughs) And we're going to talk about them next. And this is why I said before, if other teams in those top three don't win, you have to step up, especially if you're the last ones to play, kind of. And they didn't do it. And so, yeah, deserve, as mentioned before, 
deserve win for Magdeburg. It's football. If you don't use your chances, you don't get like you can't say. Well, XG wise, we would yeah. be first with ten points more than the the second one. Th- this is that is not how it works. You have to decide those close games where you play against opponents who know. Like it's the same. This is the second time they lost to a team like that with with Rostock as well. This is like. It doesn't matter if you're the better team for 90 minutes or even 45 minutes. If you make mistakes like that, and we talked about the defensive instability last couple of weeks, it's a huge, huge problem. And obviously, Hamburg is still third, but at the same time, they really, really... Like, I only hear about that they want new strikers. Offensively, they have one of the best squads in the team. I think that the bigger problem is actually that they don't really have a one-on-one replacement if people like Haya or or Sean Lau are injured. And that's the and I can't understand to just say, okay, we just need to score more goals. And maybe you should just yeah. focus on your defense at first. But at the same time, obviously we know this is not something Tim Walter does. Hmm. And I think. It sounds all very negative, but even as not a Hamburg fan, I get very frustrated with that because it's the same thing each year. I, yeah, it's it's like Groundhog Day. They're living in Bill Murray's worst fantasy. And essentially, how can you not win a game and have 29 shots on goal? It's excruciating. Like just, it's it's the equivalent of pulling teeth. It's It's mind-boggling how this happened. But this is and this is the thing, they have lost every, the three games they've lost at home this season. They're now the eleventh best team at home. The three games they've lost at home, they've lost in almost identical fashion. Which is that they have an abundance of chances. Teams sit back so deep. Those teams absorb the pressure and they get them on the break. That's how Hansa beat them, um, you know, a few months ago, where they literally hit them on the break. They had one genuinely good chance and they and they scored it. And Hamburg had billions and billions of chances and literally they could have played another 90 minutes and they wouldn't have scored then. Here, you know, they... Uh, uh, you know, to be fair, after a week they've been... They've had a horrible week. They they were bundled out in the cup by Leipzig again, 4-0, which, you know, you could excuse that. Um, they lose the derby game. They were down to 10 men when they gave those three goals up. But, yeah, it, it's clear that they... They, their biggest problem is actually their depth is arguably not as strong as it could be. And, you know, we, we were lauding their, their their team heading into the season. This should be the year that they go up. Well, it turns out they can't win at home. You know, they've won three of the seven games. Um, and the games they've lost, they had them under control. They should have won those games. They should be top of the table. But, you know, the great thing about football is we don't live in should-haves and could-haves. We live in the present. And the present moment is is that this Hamburg team is not as strong offensively as it once was. But adding another striker isn't going to help. And that teams have maybe unlocked the secret to playing Tim Walter away from home. Seems to, seems to, seems to be that way. But uh, what would I know? Um... Let's move on then, finally, to the team that did in the top five win, and that was Heidenheim. They took on Greta Furt on Sunday in a sled of Sunday games. That was just, it was actually some pretty, there was some pretty good football. But, uh, uh, well, Greta Furt were not good in this game, and 
and that's not fair on you know Rainer Windermeyer, who was the caretaker coach for this game. He made a couple of changes. Leon Schaffron was in goal. Uh, he had a tough day. It was, you know, it was a bad week for the goalkeepers' union in in part, and this game in particular didn't do any favors. So Heidenheim took the lead on nine minutes. It was yeah, Bester, yeah, Nicholas Bester's corner finding Patrick Meinke. And then they took it to 2-0 on 33 minutes um, through Tim Kleindienst. Uh, initially, a good save from Schaffron, but then after that it gets a bit comedic and it was, jeez, it was hard to watch. Kleindienst makes it 2-0. And uh, while this was all happening, it has to be noticed that uh, Furt were trying to be Furt were trying to be very sly as their new coach was already in the stadium and it became very obvious that... Um, Alexander Zorniger was going to be the new coach. Um, a, a report from Michael Fischer brought that to light. Wink, wink. Um, about that being the case, and they announced it after the game that he was going to be the coach going forward. Um, Furt did get a goal in a bit of clumsy fashion from Heidenheim defensively. Brandon Mihogurtsa got the goal. And then another interesting, very rare we see this one get given. Um, Jan-Nicholas Bester's free kick. Cannons into the wall. It takes a hand. Referee Dr. Robert Bruin calls for a penalty. Gesundheit. And um, Bester takes the penalty. It was his best effort. I know I'll see myself out. I can't help it. It's too easy to make such bad jokes on, on his behalf. But yeah, he's having a great season, of course. So that's why I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, it stayed 3-1. Furt um, had a good chance late on through Armando Zeeb. His effort rattled the, the crossbar. Um, and that's all she wrote in this one. 3-1. Furt, uh, they were one of the few teams that didn't win from the bottom five. They return to the foot of the table, whereas Heidenheim, they move up to fourth, leapfrogging Hanover in the process. This game was strange in many ways, but it never felt really like Heidenheim were out of control. Um, it looked like a team a bit disjointed, um, and that perfectly sums up their season, really. They've, they've not really been able to get it together, and when you have to take on Heidenheim away from home, we know how hard it is, and uh, and Furt were just another victim. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw this. I think the Sportschau uh, titled this the highlights of this game with um, Heidenheim takes advantage of a harsh penalty decision. I was like, well, to be honest, the game was done at this point already. Obviously, Furt had scored, had one got one back, but I mean. At this stage, if I would be Branimir Gorta, I would be very, very frustrated with the rest of the team because he always has to step up. I mean, mm. that was very naive defending of Heidenheim, nevertheless, uh, because there's one person you should not let get the ball um, in your in your box, and that's obviously Branimir Gorta. But defensively, that was a horrible display by Fürth. I know mm. we know that they don't win away from home. Um, haven't won in a long period of time as well but like that was the game was already done at halftime at that stage it was uh they got the goal but still everyone else around Branimir Gotha I'm I'm sorry to say that way but is apparently not able to step up Mm. I mean you see Pat like three shots on goal none of them on target 
Uh, they only had one shot on target in the second half, and they like. There was still 30 minutes to play after their penalty decision just to say, okay, it was difficult. Well, it wasn't the first goal who took that away. And Hainam already had a two-goal lead. They got one back, but they like that decision should never happen anyway. But so, yeah. Um, I mean, we know it's always difficult to play Hainam at home, but... Um, yeah, as mentioned before, uh, Fjord once again showed huge, huge problems with defending of set pieces. I mean, they could have conceded a second one through a set piece as well. So, yeah. I do not... Like, at this stage, I'm not really sure what to say about Alex and Natanika. Like... I don't know. I think it didn't help that it was already clear that he's going to take over, not from the... Like, I at some stage, I was like, this is social media at a limit. Like, mm. they posted that picture of uh, we don't get any points in Fjord, and then the next one, like, five minutes later, is still, like, it's obviously it was taken uh, in the stadium in Fjord. Where where Zuzi and and Zoria shake hands like this is our new head coach and it, yeah this this is a way to take all the mm. bad news away so yeah I mean obviously we said it last week already they have the biggest game coming or two big 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 games coming up against Bielefeld and Braunschweig um, and if you I mean we're gonna talk about Braunschweig in the end but you don't want to travel there at the moment. Obviously, Bielefeld, similar to sides like St. Pauli and Fürth, they don't really win away from home. <laughs> it's, it's like a <laughs> pattern. Um, but yeah, and I said this before, last time Bielefeld won away from home was in Fürth with fans present yeah. in 2020. Great stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm taking that full circle moment at any time now. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I am really not sure about Fjord. Lots of question marks about them. And obviously, yeah, Heidenheim was the only team to step up when all the others didn't. And uh, they were the deserved winner. Penalty, harsh penalty decision here and there. But yeah, still think they would have won very comfortably. Yeah. I think we're in agreement there. I'm amazed that there are four teams in the league that have yet to win away from home this season. And uh, funnily, <laughs> yeah, it's quite interesting that funnily enough, we'll be talking about two of those sides um, on the other side of the break. Uh, yeah, there's not much to say about this game. I think we've pretty much covered it quite well. So let's take that quick break. And on the other side, we're going to discuss uh, our Group 2 game starting with the top spieler. It was Armenia Bielefeld and St. Pauli. If there was a team in desperate need of victory heading into match day 13, it would be Armenia Bielefeld. They have had a pretty torrid run after their last victory, uh, which was also at home. They take on a St. Pauli side that entered the match day with no wins away from home, but they won the Stadt Derby against Hamburg. So momentum very much favoring the visitors. 
Bielefeld welcomed Fabian close into the starting lineup. A welcomed return and one that I'm sure the fans were very happy about. One thing that caught so many people off guard was Bielefeld were wearing their chain strip and not their traditional blue, which I know many kit aficionados were none too pleased about. Understandable. St. Pauli had the better of the chances in the first half. Adam Shugola, Jackson Irvine, Lucas Dashner, and the biggest chance of the first time her first half fell to Marcel Hartel. He's one-on-one with Martin Frazel, and Frazel does so well to be big, really take the angle away, and he makes a great save. And, and you know, we, we see mainly in England where they criticize goalkeepers for celebrating saves. He was worth the save because that should have been the 1-0 to St. Pauli. Um, Bielefeld didn't create much in the way of chances in the first half. Their best opportunity came uh, midway through the first half through Bastino Chikpa. It was a low percentage shot and it missed at the near post. It started to even out, out in the second half and it, it would be one particular player who's been maligned for a lot of the season who came on and made all the difference. Yanni Serra has had a decent season, but three goals is not the kind of return you'd hope for for your supposed number one striker. But he got the ball rolling on 76 minutes. It's a wonderful ball from Masai Okugawa. Sarah does so well to fend off the defense. And he puts the ball in the back of the net. And it's 1-0. And you just think, wow, they've done so well. Can they hold on? Irvine came very close to equalizing. But then two minutes after his miss, it was 2-0. Substitute Christian Gibauer finding Gianni Sarah. And Sarah making it two on the night, five for the season. And that was the game for you. An interesting perspective here for Bielefeld. A must-needed win, and they got one. It means they move up to 17th on the table, and they got Furt on the weekend. For St. Pauli, they almost, in a way, were guilty of what their friendly neighbours Hamburg did. Wasteful in front of goal, but the difference in this one is that they had a goalkeeper who was on his game from minute one. We talk about how important goalkeeping has been, and the goalkeeping union this week had a pretty tough outing, but it was fair to say that Martin Freisel put an outstanding show for the Bielefeld faithful and was a big reason why Armenia Bielefeld took the three points on Saturday night. Yeah, def- yeah definitely would fully agree. And I mean, I think it was really, really important to get a, uh, to not concede a goal the first time this season and the first time since February. Um, I think that was massive and you could really see that it helped the team like uh, Alexandrado was was brilliant in the, in this back four as well and I mean this is why I said before um, it was it was very important that Chipka and Clinton were back and then you had Huizinger and Andrade and especially in the, in the second half just from like really duel wise I mean uh, Bielefeld won like I think 40 duels more or something like that, than, than uh, St. Pauli. And I mean, that's a very, like, huge difference. Normally, you have around, like, 10 or maybe even, like, 3 or 4 um, duels in difference. And Andrade won 15. And in general, you, you just had the feeling that, especially in the second half, um, it was very important for the Bielefeld team to not concede. Like, we've seen this before, for example, in the Karlsruhe game, we're like, okay... Offensively, not a great game, but at least in the defense, you're stable. And then around like the 40th minute, you concede. This didn't happen here. And I think that was, and I mean, I said this before, if Bielefeld is the first team to score, they're not going to lose. So, and then obviously because Irvine missed it, and then you didn't really have a chance for St. Pauli afterwards. Mm. 
really. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was was a good result for Bielefeld, and I think in the end, then even deserved. Although you like Saint Pauli had the slowly higher xG and stuff, but I think especially the biggest problem was in this game that what came from the bench wasn't really helping. I mean, Timo Schulz, I think, said after the after the game in the press conference that half of the players on the pitch weren't really fit to play after the Pukaya game. Uh, and, I mean, it was a good game for them, very unlucky for them to lose that. But, um, yeah, I was a bit wondering why, why Eggestein only came on in the 88th minute. Uh, Matanovic came even on before. And, it, like, they really have a striker problem there. And, um, obviously, for Yanni Serra, I think... It was uh, it was very very important, and I mean you could you could see how happy Klaus was for him as well. I mean it's always sterilized to or, or stereotyped or whatever that Klaus doesn't like Sarah because he's going to be his successor. It's not like that at all. Um, and yeah, as mentioned, I think it was it was that this was one of the best lineups you could do. I think it was good to have Klaus up front to just win aerial duels and really tire the, the defense up uh, at that stage. It's going to be very interesting what Daniel Shannon is going to do on Friday night, whether he's going to do the same, tire up the field defense, or it's going to, like, how he is going to communicate that with Sarah and Klaus. Um, but I think we will see a very similar um, lineup to Saturday night. On Friday night, question might be, is it going to be Vassiliadis or Kunzburg? Uh, Kunzburg did not have similar good game, like, for example, in Hanover, when he came on there. But, yeah, really, once again, want to say, uh, what a great game by Lipinica as well. said this before, if he plays in midfield, much better. But, yeah, I said this also before, past success is, was a huge problem before. I mean, 78% is still not good. But you had one player who was uh, on the pitch for a majority of time, and 100% it was Okugawa. Um, he only played 11 passes, but all, all of those 11 um, were accurate. Andrade at 92%. And I think this is, if the team can build on that, this can be very, very vital going into that winter break to finally have that defensive stability again. And yeah, I think for Freiser, it was then deserved to celebrate himself a bit. But yeah, it doesn't, it's not worth it if they don't win at field. I think that's very clear as well, because that's what I meant before. They won, but it only temporarily brought them to 16th place because Magdeburg won as well. Mm. And the rest of the, like, except field, all the other teams, or and Dundhaus and all the other teams, at least picked up one point around there. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we talk about, like, you know, the importance of the link-up and and being able to connect passes. I mean, Bielefeld's season average pass percentage is 71.7%, which is 14th in the league. Teams worse than them are Regensburg, Rostock, Sennhausen, Eintracht, Braunschweig. Um, They had 78%, so they were well above their average. Um, So, like, yeah, it's important, but we... You know, we talk about chance creation, and they they created the better chances in the second half. They didn't think that they didn't have a shot on target in the first half. So, um, yeah, 
much improved, but we you mentioned about like you win such an important game and then the next week it's the follow-up. This was, I think we said this last week, this was the classic trap game for St. Pauli where they win the derby, they're on a massive high, everything, everyone's feeling good, it's all great. You play the team that's bottom of the league, we should win, and then you go and lose. That's exactly what happened here. And, and yeah, I mean... It's clear that Kicker were quite fond of what Bielefeld achieved when you've got Frizel, who was lights out the best goalkeeper on the match day, Andrada and, and Yanni Serra, who was the joker with the two goals off the bench. Um, but all three of them making the team of the week and very much deserved it. Furt, of course, hosts Bielefeld and then Darmstadt and St. Pauli do battle. That's a home game for St. Pauli. Let's move on to the Wildpark Stadion. It's Karlsruhe. It's Fortuna Dusseldorf. It's been a tough week for Karlsruhe to stomach. Um, you need to get that potassium as Christian Eichner did during the match day. Um, they were beaten in the cup in on penalties and then they were beaten by Darmstadt the week before. Could they get a result against the Fortuna Dusseldorf side who won away in the cup? That's rare. They also lost at home last week, which is also rare. But could they win in the league away from home? Well, we got a pretty quick answer of the intent. And the answer was yes. A resounding yes. And two players who really spearheaded this were Mikhail Karbovnik and Christopher Pedersen. Pedersen opened the scoring on seven minutes. Karbovnik with a hockey assist, but we don't count hockey assists. He passed it to Kovnatsky, his fellow Polish teammate. Both have been... Uh, looked like they'll both be in the the, the large squad, uh, the training camp for Poland for the upcoming World Cup. Uh, Kovnatsky, Pedersen, 1-0. And then Karbovnik with a wonderful assist. He's done this before where he cuts in on his right, playing as a left back, teasing curling ball, and only Pedersen was going to ever get to it, and only Pedersen would score 2-0. Kalzara had their chances. Fabian Schleusen just moments after the 2-0. They should have scored on 53 minutes. Uh, Schleusner and Rapp almost getting in between each other was an easy opportunity. And the, the story of Karlsruhe's game is close but not close enough. Simon Rapp. Kyongrok Choi, who hasn't played for a long time. It's great to see him back out there. Mikhail Kaufman, Marvin Vanitsek all came close but not close enough to finding that one goal or even a second goal. It's another defeat for Karlsruhe, but for Dusseldorf, this is massive because they dropped the ball last week against Nedberg. That's a game that we expected them to get the three points in. They travel to Karlsruhe, not a particularly easy place to win at. Um, usually very good atmosphere at the stadium that seems to be forever under construction. But for Dusseldorf, they got the result. They did the work early. They played with the competitive advantage and they were able to keep it. Yeah, and I mean, we kind of hinted at that last week that if Dusseldorf loses at home, why not start winning away from home? And they did so. Uh, your favorite Jinx partners right here. Um, I mean, it, it, it was a very typical, like, Karlsruhe had the better five minutes. And then, um, yeah, just individual class really decided that game. And uh, as we mentioned before, Andrade Freis and Serra and the team of the week Rightly so, Karbovnik and, and Pedersen is like watching Karbovnik plays. I think a huge, huge joy on the left side. Um, it's amazing how much, yeah, 
just uh, understanding of football he has and how to to work his his qualities. I think that's um, yeah, that's something uh, Dorf can really build on. Um, yeah, it, it was something that Karlsruhe had problems with before was really the precision that they had their chances, but it didn't really look as dangerous. And then Fortuna was just very efficient in what they did and um, really, yeah, used what they got when there was it was offered. And uh, I mean, especially in the second half, Dusseldorf could have easily scored one or two goals more. Um, I think that that I think that Oberdorf chance will really haunt him. Mm. <laughs> um, how that doesn't go in amazes me a bit, but um, yeah, I think uh, Kabovnik is really the one to look out, and he was really my one of the best players this match day, in my opinion. Um, just how, yeah, how he was there in every situation Dusseldorf created up front. There was that situation. Um, Kovnatsky as well, and like how much, um, yeah, how offend, like how much, or how to put this, uh, rephrase that, um, for him being a defensive player first and foremost, uh, at least how you would put him in the first way. He has so many talents, and I remember that this was. One of, he was one of the players really changed up the game for for in the Bielefeld game as well, um, and yeah, I, I as mentioned before for his age, really amazing what he does, and um, I for one will be very uh, happy to follow his success. Uh, one we think it's it's actually quite interesting if you compare XGs. Uh, this is probably one of the games where the difference between the Bundesliga and what other platforms have to offer is the biggest. So the Bundesliga gives us an XG of 1.03 to 2.49 and uh, the 538 or 538 gives us 2.0 to 2.6. So it's, it's a difference there and it shows you that it can, you can interpret. In... There are different interpretations. I just quit speaking <laughs> at this point <laughs> of how to, yeah, analyze shots and and stats and stuff. So um, yeah, big win for Düsseldorf. Um, it put them up into those um, yeah top six, um, and they were were one of the few teams to pick up points there. Uh, as mentioned before, actually to win, um, and yeah, I think it was very important, especially after the result at home. Agreed, absolutely agreed. That Oberdorf double doink is a is a rare sight that we see in football, but it was enjoyable to see it. Shame it didn't go in for it would have been awesome. But uh, yeah, I mean, speaking to a Polish colleague um, about Kabovnik and you know he's on loan from Brighton and Hove Albion. He, his, it's interesting. His his sole goal of coming to Fortuna Dusseldorf was to play in midfield. That's where he feels he's at his best, playing in a central midfield role. But where Dusseldorf really need him and needs must position is playing as a fullback, playing as an inverted left back. And the one thing that's become very noticeable about my observations of watching him is is when he's in attack, when they're in attacking um, scenarios. 
yeah, he's he's awesome. Like you just love he plays with such freedom and he just gives his teammates the best, puts them in really good positions to to at least have shots on goal and and convert those. Um, but like not to put a downer on it, but defensively he's really bad. Like it's a problem. Like so, but that's the, that's the trade off. They're happy to have the trade off where they let Kabovnik get really forward. Um, and and if it leads to goals, then great. But they're willing to acknowledge that if teams attack them down his flank, that's going to be part for the parcel. But yeah, good result for for, yeah. for Dusseldorf. Yes, I would also add that the left side for Dusseldorf is then always in general on the lookout because with Obadov and Kabovnik, you have then two very yeah going forward mm. uh, defensive players. I mean, this was uh, three in the back for for Dusseldorf, but yeah, Kabovnik as that left forward kind of mm. um, switching in that place, but obviously opening space, and it's something that Karlsruhe didn't really play on enough, in my opinion, in the end. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, a lot came over the respectively right side for Karlsruhe, with, with Schleusener, for example, as well, but I think they could have uh, played on that a bit more. And there's something that other teams will maybe have a look out on if uh, there there's like a similar lineup and on the weekend. And I mean, we have Holstein Kiel who showed us, as we've mentioned before, what they can do against teams that are a bit more favoured in games than they are. Absolutely, Dusseldorf on the road to Kiel. That's a another away game. Whereas Karlsruhe, they are also on the road. They are in Hanover. Let's move to our final Group 2 game. It takes us to the Ossia Stadion in Rostock. It's Hansa Rostock against Kaiserslautern. Whew. This game was really interesting because it seemed as if Rostock were going to get the jump early. They had a couple of really good opportunities through Niels Fruling and Harris Dulievich. But um, one player who decided that they were going to try and take this game over was Kenny Prince Redondo. He had the best chance in the first half, and it was a double... Forced a double save from Marcus Kolker. His first effort seemed relatively tamed, and it was a simple save, but the follow-up was in, was a fairly good effort from Redondo, but an even better save from Kolker. Kolker was a pivotal part in this game, for better or for worse. He made a bunch of saves denying Redondo, Clement, even Eric Durham's adventurous attempt, uh, his volley on 62 minutes. But for as good as Kolker was... It would be his error that would give up the first goal. A set piece is Philip Clement's ball in at the free kick, and Terence Boyd, who we've been a little bit critical on in front of goal, he heads home because the ball goes straight through the wickets of Marcus Kolka. Um, yep, not a great moment for the Union. We're talking about bad moments for the goalkeepers' Union. That was a bad one. Um, it got even worse though for um, for for Rostock um, because on 82 minutes. Marlon Ritter's kind of ball played to, to, to Boyd. Van Dronglen does, I don't know what he does, but it's not much, if anything. It's probably nothing. Anyway, Boyd using his body. I mean, they're two big-bodied fellas, and you know Boyd cast him aside like a, like a paperweight. Boyd scores, and that was your game. You get sort of that mosaic picture with um, Boyd with the arms spread out, and then... Cu- Kolka just absolutely aggravated. Um, but that was your result. There was um, a big win for Kaiserslautern because we've talked about that. Uh, for uh, for Rostock, it's um, 
four games without a win. Um, we should talk about the game, but we should also talk about the stuff that happened in the stands regarding Terence Boyd. He was racially abused throughout the game. I don't think we need to always reiterate why this is not okay. Um, it's just frustrating that we are still having to talk about this. Um, it's really disappointing, and 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 in that situation, um, either we, I, I, I can't, I, I can't understand. Like I'm many hundreds of thousands of miles away. I, I know it's a problem here in Australia. It's still a problem in Germany. I just don't understand why we can't, you know, why it resorts to this all the time. It just seems frustrating. Yeah, and I think especially because. Um... Allegedly, it was uh, one of the capos um, with his microphone, and you actually can hear it. Like mm. if you if you look at highlights, if you watch the the live game, you can actually hear it. Um, and uh, once again, it's very important that the alcohol comes from Rostock fans themselves. Um, so it was very difficult, uh, very important, and very pivotal uh, to clear things up. At the same time, they really criticized Hansa on how they handled that. Um, I mean, we had um, Waldhof Mannheim obviously doesn't play Zweite Liga, but uh, their stadium announcer, who was now let go, I think, uh, who who thanked or who who tributed um, the lineup or the announcement of the lineup to unknown neo-Nazi uh, who died, um, and that's like it. We have problems with racism, with anti-Semitism. Um, in all stadiums, I think no club can really free themselves of that. But especially, it's just that there are certain clubs who, whether address on things like that, is just too naive and just too slowly, and only happens if there's huge, huge pressure from the outside and from the inside, like inside the fans. Um, and yeah, I mean, we already talked about I. I mean, before we start, we want to talk about Rostock more when they played well um, and not to talk about everything around. But obviously, we also think that it's important to say things like that so they don't get thrown under the rug, kind of. Um, but I mean, you have to say about Rostock, just in a, in a sporting way in this uh, in this game, I think they had seven injured players before that game. Um, we said this last week that a number of players were out. Uh, but the thing is that they had the f- chances, 5 to no chances in the first 15 minutes. So this is not the problem, that they don't create chances, but they just don't have yeah, the quality in finishing them. And I mean, um, as you mentioned before, it's a bit unfair to put the blame on Kolke, uh, save 78% uh, approximately of all the shots coming his way. So don't really think it's his fault but yeah the biggest biggest problems and that's being shown statistically but there's also if you just look at the highlights or the game in general it's just that Kostok has a huge huge problem with really putting the ball in the back of the net obviously it's not very difficult to see um but uh, this is something we worried about before the season thought with with Brugge, uh, they really found a way, but um, yeah, you just have there are too many individual errors uh, for them that they can't overcome, and at the same time they don't score enough goals to overcome that or compensate that. 
Um, and yeah, also that they just completely gave up the second half and just didn't have another shot on target whole like they only had one and this was the meta now in a couple of games where they really only have one good chance and I mean it can work like the way they, like it did in Hamburg but you can't really re- rely on that and sometimes after feeling they do do that um, and yeah so it was a deserved win for Kaiserslautern um, and yeah yeah agreed I mean they've scored 12 goals in their opening 13 games that's equal worst with uh, with Nuremberg and yeah like they haven't had the same production from Jean Verhoek. Um That's been pretty obvious. Maybe Hanno Behrens was a bigger loss than we attributed to when it happened. Hmm. Seems that way um, at the moment because they just yeah. There's there's the the link up is definitely missing. Uh, Rostocker on the road to Jan Regensburg. Kaiserslautern are at home against Nuremberg. Let's take our final break, and on the other side, we'll discuss Group 3 games and our kick tip, and we're going to start with Jan Regensburg and Sandhausen. Two teams who are hoping to, well, one in particular, extend to two-game winning streak. Sandhausen looking to return to winning ways. This was built up as a very intriguing encounter in the Saturday afternoon lineup. So, what would you expect than an own goal to start the game? Uh, extraordinary. Uh, Charolampos Mark Reedus's cross was headed back by Alexander Zverev, and just 40 seconds, 42 seconds into the game, Jan took the lead. But then Sennhausen started the building blocks. Dario Dumic's effort was blocked initially uh, on eight minutes, and then four minutes later, they got their equaliser. Chemistry between Christian Kinsombi and Alexander Esfine seems to be very noticeable. Kinsombi's delicate pass finding, finding Esfine, and that's his second goal of this season. He also assisted for his first. Sandhausen almost doubled, uh, was able to get the advantage. Uh, Emmanuel Huon, his effort was uh, saved by Stojanovic, so 1-1 at the break. It would be Jan more so in the second half. A taste to come. Andreas Albers forced a really good save from Nikolai Renan. He's in for the injured Patrick Druez. And then just 16 minutes later, the goal would come. It was held to Skelter in the box. And eventually, Prince Ose Awusu found Andreas Albers. And I say found liberally because it, it, yeah, it got there. And Albers was able to nudge it home and that was your score in the end Awusu could have doubled their advantage but he didn't and Kinsombi had a chance late in the game that's David Kinsombi but it was not to be Regensburg are up to ninth uh they've won three of their last five games um two in a row for them Sanhausen two consecutive defeats one win in the last five and they currently sit 16th look at these two sides as not high goal scoring sides uh entering the match day they were both equal on 12 goals scored um this was a difficult game to to, to really judge heading into it regensburg who started the turnaround it's a big win for them uh, recently they've started to get back to for what they might consider more familiar results yeah, and I mean, obviously, it's always um, kind of a death sentence if you concede a goal like that. It's actually a fourth on goal that Sirov has caused. <laughs> um, 
But I mean, um, I thought that Regensburg always looked like they're gonna be the bit more comfortable part of that uh, of this game. And I mean, obviously, it's uh, Rin couldn't really do much for for the second goal in the end. He was good before <laughs> Sandhausen once again <laughs> signing a goalkeeper. Um, it, it amazes me how many goalkeepers they had <laughs> those last couple of years, mm. and they had to sign because of like injuries. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially after seeing last week's game, I can't understand why you would let Andreas Albers be the free in any part of the game, and they did. And um, yeah. Do not really know what to do with with both teams at the end, nevertheless, because um, yeah, for for Regensburg, the game against Hansa Rostock will be very pivotal uh, in going forward if they might recover. Um, but yeah, I think um, for Zandhausen, we could just repeat what we say week in and week out, so that doesn't really do a lot. Um, can just say that with them having the majority of possession, they offered really, really next to nothing. Yeah, it was just... Uh, yeah, it was pretty poor in the end. I mean, they did have a couple of chances, but, excuse me, they couldn't convert them. We mentioned the goalkeeping situation. Um, their second choice, uh, Benedict Grava, also injured, so they signed a Timo Konigsmann, uh, who was last at Waldorf Mannheim. He was a Hanover junior Um just going to put my resume in uh, if you need a goalkeeper. I am available. But uh, there's only four more games until the, sum, the, the break, so I'm sure they'll be fine. Uh, let's make a move to Braunschweig. Eintracht Braunschweig taking on Paderborn. This seemed like a mismatch. Uh, in the end, the game ended goalless. The best chances for each side came in the opening 15 minutes of the game. Braunschweig had a bit of a helter-skelter moment on four minutes. Kater Endo's initial shot was saved by Yannick Hoot. Anton Doncour then with the follow-up, his ball smashing into the post. And then Fabio Kaufmann smashing the ball high and wide. And then just two minutes later, they, Paderborn almost took the lead. It's a wonderful ball played in to Robert Leipertz, who has a one-on-one situation. Should score. He was in great position. And he missed wide, failing to test Yasmin Fezic. It was a pretty mid-second half. Neither team really did anything to really accentuate an opportunity. Don't, don't be alarmed by the, the fact that the teams combined for 33 shots in this game. Only four of them were on target. And that pretty much sums up this game in a nutshell. It was... Uh, it lacked, let's just say, it lacked the clinical touch in the final third and uh, fair to say, though, that Braunschweig will be pretty happy with that result. Yeah, I would fully agree. And I mean, um, yeah, the first half was, was I think, uh, good to watch. The second half, as mentioned, just awful. Um, <laughs> especially Paderborn didn't really have any, any kind of huge chances, not like the Leipzig chance in the first one, as you've mentioned. Um, and then we have... Uh, I mean, the game we're going to talk about next is also a nil-nil, and it's actually only the second time this happened, that we have two nil-nils on a match day. Last time that happened was on match day seven. Um, and in general, this is not a league that serves a lot of goalless games. Only seven nil-nil draws in 117 games so far. That's not a lot. 
and um yeah just uh you know for your kick tap the next match day is going to be all new nails probably now that i've said that <laughs> because we know where the jinx fast is um but yeah i think you've you've covered basically everything um Parabon will want to get back to winning ways and scoring ways on the weekend against hamburg you've we mentioned that before and uh yeah Braunschweig looks at this stage very comfortably going into the away game at Sandhausen. Yeah, big game for like big games for Braunschweig coming up. Their next three, Sandhausen, Fürth, Regensburg, all teams they will field now they can beat or at least get a result. Um, whereas Paderborn and Hamburg at home, that's a world feed game. Heidenheim away and then they've got Bielefeld in midweek. Um, some tricky games for Paderborn coming up, but they can see pass through them they will be in a very good position to end the hindrunder at the top of the table let's talk about teams who had ambitions of being near the top of the table uh that's nuremberg and hanover this was the one of the world feed games that they showed and well the world feed was treated to something but it didn't resemble football i can tell you that much the best opportunity of the game came on two minutes when um Christoph Daferner was played through by Quadward Dua. I'm still amazed how he didn't score in this situation. Um, Zeela makes the save. Both teams trade kind of half chances. It was a game that lacked really any sort of meaningful intensity. Um, and in the end, the result is a draw. Uh, it means that Hanover stay in the top five, just barely. Um, after being leapfrogged from Heidenheim, Nuremberg, they um, stay in 14th place. They're three games under Vinesil. They've had a loss, which they gave up three goals in, a 1-0 win and a 0-0 draw. It seems so in the short time that the fixes have not been uh, rectified. They are still equal worst goal-scoring team in the league, uh, along with Hansa, Rostock. Um yeah, there's not really a lot to say about this game either. I watched it, it was awful. It was just really bad football. Neither team really. It just. It was like tennis, but like without it being enjoyable, like those good rallies. So, I don't know. Is there anything you'd like to add to this game? Because, yeah, neither team really did enough. And I feel like, unfortunately, the 0 0 was very much justified. Yeah, I would really agree. Um, and I mean, yeah, it's really a problem for Nuremberg. They're last place in the short efficiency table um, yeah. with minus 5.2. To no surprise, uh, Hamburg is in, sits in 17th. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, but yeah, I thought Nuremberg looked a bit more comfortable. I mean, for them, it's also very important that they don't concede goals. But I mean, yeah, about Hanover, they were very confident in the in the game against um Dortmund midweek but yeah probably similar to to the Bielefeld game where they managed to have two very good moments um they did not manage to do that here and um yeah they it wouldn't have been deserved if they win they had that one good chance chance and yeah I'm not sure about the the duo the Fana duo DD um, double D, whatever. Uh, up front, that works okay, but I do have the feeling it's at the same time takes away any sort of 
yeah, substitutions you can bring in. So, yeah, that's yeah. all I have to say about the game. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Nuremberg is the balance. Just they haven't been able to find a solution. They've got these two guys they've brought in. This is going to change us. We're going to be we've we've on paper we've rectified the issue with our team, which was that we couldn't score goals. And the biggest problem after thirteen match days is that they can't score goals still. So. Um, yeah, that pretty much sums up our review of Match Day 13. Of course, we love to talk about our kick tip. Ainarino still leads with 140 points, and Martin top scored, ironically, with 13 points. It was a tough round to tip, and Martin topped them all. We haven't got a podcast recommendation this week, but I am going to put one forth. If you want a full, comprehensive recap of last Saturday night's game between St. Pauli and Armenia Bielefeld... In the German language, we highly recommend that you listen to uh, this week's episode of the Millenturn. It has our wonderful Ivo Lotterbola on there talking all good things, of course, about Armenia Bielefeld's 2-0 win. So definitely go check them out. I think this is two weeks in a row we've promoted the Millenturn. That's how good they are. So you definitely give them a follow and a listen. That will do for us for this week. We'll be back next week to discuss all the action from Match Day 14. Until then, have a fantastic week of Spider Bundesliga football. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.